This is episode number 21 with CEO and founder of Grab the Gold Snack Bar, Danielle Antiveros. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Today I have a very special lady come on to the show. Danielle was a 16-year-old girl who created her own snack bar in her mother's kitchen in one night. The next day she started going around door-to-door selling those bars and her business was born. But it wasn't always an easy road. Today you're going to learn all about the obstacles that got in Danielle's way and how she was able to take a leap of faith to continue her pursuit. While you're listening, take a screenshot of this episode and tag me, Danielle, and Grab the Gold on Instagram to let us know you're listening. I know Danielle would be thrilled and would love to know your favorite part of the episode, so feel free to send her a message letting her know how much you loved it. Now, before we get into the episode, I want to ask you guys if you made any fitness goals for 2019. If so, how are they going? Are you on the right path? Is there someone holding you accountable? I released an ebook at the beginning of the year called The Bodyweight Grind that so many people are loving. It's a four-week bodyweight exercise fitness program, and the workouts are only 20 minutes long. You can find that $10 ebook on my website at nickcarrier.com if you're interested. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If so, go ahead and rate and review this podcast, because when you rate and review the show, it can move up the ranks, which means more and more people get access to these tools, tips, and inspiration. But for now, it's time. It's time to work on being our best self today with the woman behind the Grab the Gold snack bar, Danielle Antiveros. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm super excited today to have Danielle Antiveros with me today. Um, is there a little Spanish twang to it? There you go. That's okay, <laughs> I tried to put a little bit on there. Uh, not very good, but I'm super excited to have you here because, uh, as I kind of told you before, we, we got on camera and got on the microphones that um, when I first moved to Nashville, I started seeing these grab the gold bars everywhere I went to a bunch of different fitness studios and a bunch of different um, health stores or everything like that. And uh, I'm finally excited to meet the woman behind the bar. So I'm excited to have you here today. Um, thanks for coming. But the way I kind of want to start is basically when I did you know my, my research on you and, and saw different videos and different stories, it always starts with where you came up, when you came up with the recipe, when you were 16 years old in New Orleans, um, in your mom's kitchen. So I kind of want to start with that, but I also, one of the parts that I haven't really learned yet is, you know, you were 16 years old, you created the recipe, and then the next day you go out and start selling it. But when is it, when does it become actually a business? So I kind of want you to kind of start with the story with that. Well, it depends on how you define, define a business. A business. <laughs> exactly. Um, because I was making money the very first day. There you go. Um, however, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. And I didn't understand the difference between cold market, warm market. I just went out and started selling to strangers. And I came home crying because it was a little bit tough. I came, well, I didn't cry till I got in the house and closed the door. <laughs> but, um, you know, my mom said, why don't we start selling to friends, family, and neighbors? And I was like, oh, that makes sense. People you know, people who trust you. Um, so I would say probably in the first in the first few months, I was making five hundred dollars a month. Okay, so that's pretty decent for a sixteen year old. Yeah, and so why did why did you want to create the recipe yourself? Because I don't like breakfast, and I mm-hmm. constantly skipped it. I found myself tired, you know, skipping the most important meal of the day. <laughs> and before lunch, I was tired and I was hungry and I was cranky and just didn't feel like I had enough energy. So I thought I could create something better than was out there, and what was out there didn't taste good and didn't fill me up. Yeah. Why did you think that you could create something? I feel like a lot of people wouldn't just be like, oh, I can do this. (laughs) I'm one of those people who believes that no matter what I have an idea for, I can do it. 
I just have never lacked that kind of confidence. It was just a matter of if there's a need, I can figure it out. Mm -hmm. So let's go a little bit more. So you're making $500 a month, right? Mm -hmm. You're 16 years old. You're, you were homeschooled, correct? Yes. And then, you know, did you go to college? What are the next steps in terms of that? No, I didn't, I didn't go to college. I was homeschooled for high school. I went to regular school up until eighth grade. I was Mm -hmm. homeschooled for high school, did not go to college. I decided that um, I would keep making my snack bars, but that I wanted to be a pilot. And so I got my pilot's license before I could drive, mm. um, started wow, flying planes. That's actually really weird. <laughs> it was. I was having people drop me off at the airport so I could fly planes. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, I was flying some charters and decided that it was, to me, it felt like being a glorified bus driver. I was going yeah. back and forth between New Orleans and Destin. And, you know, it was just like a route. And I was getting tired of it. And I said, this is, I'm, I want to interact with people. And that's who I am. I need to be around people. I need that charge. Mm-hmm. And so um, just putting headphones on and flying a plane didn't seem as exciting as the, for me that the challenge was learning to do it, tackling that. And once I had achieved it, I didn't feel like it was very challenging anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I decided to do a massage yeah. and um, got my massage license and started doing massage for the New Orleans Saints, which I did for 10 years, for okay. 10 seasons. What do you think is the biggest lesson you learned from doing that massage therapy for the New Orleans Saints? <laughs> First of all, it's very difficult work. If anyone thinks it's glamorous, it is not. It is very hard, but it was rewarding. So for me, it was a matter of, you know, flying a plane was an activity that you did by yourself. But when you're massaging Mm -hmm. someone, you know, it was a matter for sports therapy that they needed a result. They need to be able to go back in the game and be okay. So for me, it was an immediate payoff. It was, you know, some sort of interaction with the person where you could affect them in a way that they were living a better life immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge payoff. Yeah, no, definitely. And being around there for 10 years, I'm sure you got exposed to a bunch of different successful people in the NFL. And with it being massage therapy, you know, you're probably having a good amount of conversations with the with these guys. Is there anyone in particular that you felt like you learned the most from or anything in particular that you learned the most from any of them? Um, well, one thing that was interesting that I think is that no matter no matter who they were or where they were in their career, they really thought it was cool that I was making these snack bars. And they, were, they <laughs> oh, wanted cool. to, can you make a snack bar with yeah. my name on it? Can you make it a branded bar for me? And so um, one thing about that was while I was doing that, I was very conscious to continue growing my grab the goal business, making my snack bars. I'm um, thinking if there's people who are successful as these professional athletes, and they want a bar, you know, this is a very relevant market. Um, so I continued that business while doing that. And of course, the Hurricane Katrina affected it all in, in 2005. That's when I moved to Nashville. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, it's got to be, it had to have been awesome that NFL players were so supportive of what you were kind of doing on the side. Definitely. And I think a lot of people probably can relate with, you had this job as a massage therapist, but kind of had this side hustle or side business. So I think a lot of people can probably yes. relate to that. So tell me a little bit what it was like personally to have all this stuff going on, having this main job and then trying to grow this Ooh. business on the side. It was it was a big time commitment, but I had such drive, especially, okay, we're talking your 20s. You have all this energy. And when I'm, I'm telling you, when you have that much energy and you're that young, you know, if you can focus on what you want to do and go for it, um, you're going to be very successful. You do have... It's natural. You don't think it's going to happen. But in your 30s, you're a, you're a little bit winding down to your 40s. You have to kind of change your lifestyle. Um, your body dictates that at some point. Yeah. But you don't realize that you can burn the candle at both ends in your 20s. So I was working probably 80, 90 hours a week. I would My typical schedule was um, do massages from about 2 o'clock in the afternoon to about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, come home, Jeez. 
um, work my grab the gold business by answering all these emails and processing orders and everything, and then take a little nap for about two hours and then go to my office and um, either make the bars or ship the orders and then go right into the massages at two o'clock. And so I was doing that round the clock. Um, Sundays on away games were the only time I had to myself. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, so you're, while you're doing it on the side, what was, what was the one thing that was holding you back from, you know, being able to do it full time? Oh, time commitment. Time commitment. It was time commitment. And that's one of the things, okay. A turning point was, let's say, okay, the hurricane. Mm -hmm. So when I moved to Nashville, because customers from grab the gold reached out and said, you know, I, we really love your product. We want you to move here mm. and for it to be a Nashville or at least a Tennessee product. Right. And when that many people reached out from this area, um, really caring about me and about the product, I immediately knew it was the right place to move. But I had an opportunity. Someone said, okay, well, um, I can hook you up with the Titans and you can keep doing what you're doing. Mm. And I realized I hadn't had a social life in 10 years. Um, I worked every night. I hadn't seen a movie. I hadn't had a date. I hadn't done anything. And... I had a um, you know decision to make, and it was really difficult because, like I had mentioned, the immediate payoff of doing massage work where you are seeing a result right away, and you have someone who's thanking you for it. Right. You know how often do you get that in a job? You mm-hmm. know where someone's like, "Thank you so <laughs> That's a really much." Good point. You know, or if they can't get an appointment, they're like almost crying beside themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's really it was really an emotional connection with people, and um, so I had to make, make a decision. I decided not to continue doing massage therapy. It was the hardest, hardest thing for me to disconnect from that part of myself that I had really identified with, even to disconnect from being involved with the NFL at that at that level. And um, it was difficult for me. And then at that point, I made my decision to turn my full focus on my on my snack bar business. Yes. Yeah. What do you think gave you the leap of faith to be able to do that? It was a decision. I think I had a lot of, of time to consider what was going on because of the hurricane. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of, you know, a lot of fear, a lot of sadness, a lot of this is the moment you can make a change. And, you know, when you're in a in a stream of, of a job or a, a direction, it's a little bit hard to stop and make that change. But when you're at a stopping point already, that's the really good time to assess mm. where do I want my life to go and what do I want my life to look like. Right. And um, it was it was a big decision. But my my business, you know, I went from, you know, making 10 times the amount in my business in a short in a shorter period of time by focusing, you know, like do one thing and do it well. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. So what do you think back in 2005, you went or Hurricane Katrina happened, you lost your home um, and then the Nashville people basically brought you here basically. So what do you think is like the biggest lesson that you learned from such a negative experience and being able to kind of like flip it on its head? Okay. When you, when people say, okay, there's a silver lining and every, okay, this is so true though, because here I was lost. I didn't know where to live. I didn't know where to move to. I didn't really have any roots anywhere else except being from Southern California, but I didn't want to go back there. Didn't want, I couldn't live back in New Orleans anymore. And so I had really all of this opportunity. I can live anywhere in the country now. I can I can go anywhere, do anything. What do I want it to What do I want it to look like? And so it's basically a clean slate. Um, I think that that really that was really important to me mm-hmm. to choose not what do I want to do, but what do I want my future to look like. What do I want my life to look like in right. five years, ten years? And I was even scared though, just committing only to my snack bars. I'd been out of business for six months. Were the customers still there? Was I even relevant anymore? Do people forget about the product? Do they even want this anymore? Mm-hmm. Maybe I commit everything to this and they're gone. 
but I just had to, I had to choose one direction and commit to it. Right. Well, applause to you for doing that because I think a lot of people, I mean, the six, I didn't realize the six month gap thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I makes sense, obviously, yeah. um, now looking back at it, but for you to still be able to take the leap of faith, I think a lot of people can't take the leap of faith in the first place, not even if you hadn't had that six month gap. So yes. doing that um, is awesome. So what do you, so where do you think you would be if Hurricane Katrina wouldn't, didn't happen? I, I really believe that I would have still been dividing my time between multiple things, multiple businesses. And, um, and so would Grab the Gold be able to be where it is today? Absolutely if you not. Absolutely not. I don't think I ever would have made a decision to, mm-hmm. to yeah, people, people wouldn't have it in their stores everywhere. They wouldn't, you know, it just wouldn't be. It really is true. Mm-hmm. It would be small. It would probably still be around, but it would be more of a little local sort of small product. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So you started in 1990 mm-hmm. is when the, the recipe was, yes. was formed. And then 25 years later was the first time a new flavor came out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, about, is that the timeline? Yeah, time a little bit longer. 28 yeah, 28. Yeah, because yeah, 28 Close enough. It's just, a long time. <laughs> right. Um, so what was... What was the shove to do a new flavor or why hadn't you maybe done it prior? Okay. I hadn't done a new flavor. Everybody, customers love new flavors. Customers always suggest new flavors. And I feel, again, going back to that, do one thing and do it well. And I really felt that we had so much growth potential to introduce this one product to, to so many people that we hadn't even reached um, enough growth in order to introduce another flavor. And I was concerned at one point, if we hadn't reached enough growth and we make another flavor, are we cannibalizing our sales? Meaning, are, are we just now doing the same volume, but with two different products and just making ourselves busier? Right. Um, I didn't know if it was going to create enough sales. And really, um, Kroger was the impetus for creating another flavor. They just said, you know, your product sells so well that we need you to create a new flavor. Oh, wow. So, so they, that was almost, that was the push that you had to do it. Were you, were you thinking about it beforehand or was it basically just that, that pushed you to do it? It was, it was, that was the push to do it. I had always, always had uh, ideas. Even when I was 17, 18, I had different flavors lined up. I had different, I wanted to create so much. And it was really my mom who kept me focused. She was saying, you know, Danielle, you have this entrepreneur mind. You have this creative mind. You know, you think of businesses and products every single week. You have to keep focused. And even then, when I was in New Orleans, I felt that I was focused by doing two or three businesses at a time. I sometimes had another business or two also. <laughs> and um, But for me, that was actually control. And as I've grown, as I've grown in discipline and I've gotten older and wiser, I've really, really learned to keep a focus. Okay. And, and then, in fact, when you go to the vision part and you go to what am I going to create, where is this going to go, I've almost honed my discipline so much that I really have to get into an imaginative space to really imagine what would what could it look like, what else could I create. Mm-hmm. I almost went the other way to where I'm just very logical and very disciplined. Right. So it was interesting. So you said you almost had a couple of other businesses. What, what are those other things that you Oh, I had a cleaning about? business. Okay. Um, I had um, a skincare business where I created products for salons and spas that were private label and they were customized just for them. The scents, I created different scents and different you know, product lines for them. Mm, but then you just kind of realized I need to refocus on grab the gold or? Yes. I mean, I was busy, you know, 20 hours a day. Right. <laughs> for years. I mean, probably for, probably for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, I, I was comfortable working 20 hours a day. Oh, my Lord. So what's it like working 20 hours? I mean, we already <laughs> talked about, already talked a little bit with New Orleans when you had the side hustle mm-hmm. thing, but that's got, that had to be a little bit of a, you know, take a mental toll on you. I mean, what was that like? I think it does. But at the time I, 
I'm just like a, a very energetic person and um, I get very passionate about something. So it's almost a drive where I would just become consumed with work and actually work became my outlet. It became my my sense of satisfaction. And okay, so I'm in my 40s now and I'm learning now that I focus so long on work that I've neglected social, I've neglected family, I've neglected a lot of different things. I've neglected hobbies. Um, I've neglected taking time for myself. And to me, those things are difficult because I'm so used to being in business that I quantify everything with a return. Mm. So if I know I do these emails or I do these calls, I can see a return. I can see a result. But if I go out and socialize or go to a movie, what's my result? What's Mm. my return on that time? And there's not necessarily a quantifiable or measurable thing. And there doesn't need to be, be, right? There doesn't need to be, Nick. But to try to change that after so many years. Especially because you were 16 when you kind of started in that business mindset a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was always in that mindset when when my friends wanted to create a a lemonade stand. And and when we were like 10 years old, I told them why it wouldn't work and what the profit margin was. And this is just the way my mind worked from an early age. I mean, I didn't see fun. Where did that come from? I think it was just my nature. You know how some kids just, you know, they have a nature. They're very introspective. They're very outgoing. But for me, I just tended to see see through things and just like, well, you don't want to do that. You don't want to waste your time. It's not going to be profitable. And unless you use your mom's cup, your mom's ice, your mom's lemonade, and then you're not really doing a lemonade stand. You know, I don't know. I kind of took the fun out of it. I were, think. You, um, were you homeschooled when you were young too? No, but I was an avid reader. No, I was in homeschool till high school, but I was an avid reader. I mean, I would spend, you know, I read every book in our school library at least once. And sometimes I'd start on a second time, like same school, kindergarten through sixth. And I still do that. I still read one to two books a week. And are they centered around any particular subject or are they fiction, nonfiction, or just kind of whatever? I I need a a mixture of both historical fiction. It could be a, it could be a detective novel. It could be a business book. Mm. You just Um, love reading. Yeah. Just, I, I like a sponge. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so we were talking a little bit before before uh, we got on here about how being the best version of yourself means something different for every single person. Mm-hmm. And I've talk, I talk a lot about how I'm a habit person and I like a schedule. Yes. And that works for me because mm-hmm. it keeps me feeling in control of what I want to do. But we talked beforehand about how you're pretty different. Um, you kind of mm-hmm. just, you maybe set daily goals um, and it's not necessarily at this hour I have to be doing this. Yeah. You're very much kind of more like flying at the seat of your pants. So I want to talk a little bit more about kind of where where you uh, developed that, um, not being like a scheduled person, more mm-hmm. just kind of like I'm going to do it when it feels right. Right. Yeah. Both. I grew up with both my parents being entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad had a landscaping business. My mother was a public speaker, um, like a personal like. Um, life coach. Mm. And, um, so she would travel all over. My dad was doing his own business and they were divorced, but I was seeing that in, in both situations. And so I don't remember. Um, I just recently found out my mom did have a, a regular job at one point when I was young, but I don't remember it. So in my memory, I don't remember my mom ever going to a job every day. Mm. I don't ever remember my mom going to work. She worked from home. She would travel and speak. She would have classes that were scheduled, um, you know, seminars, mm-hmm. but I don't remember any kind of routine in our house ever. And so I grew up with no structure and it was just, you know, you do, you know, what my mom's saying was, what is your true desire? And it wasn't, what do you want? It's within you, what's going to make you fulfilled. 
And that was my guide. And of course, I was always, I don't know, I was a very disciplined, um, how do you call it? Like um, a principled person. Okay. So like I knew I had to do my homework. I wanted to do my homework. I was I was a little nerd. You know, I wanted to do it. I <laughs> yeah, was, you read every book I in the library the, twice. I was the kid in school who was always raising my hand and the teacher was like, okay, is there anybody else besides Danielle oh who wants gosh. to answer this you question? You were that person? Yes, I was <laughs> I that person. It's like the person that everybody doesn't like that's annoyed. <laughs> but I was just so excited and wanted to be engaged. And, you know, I was like, you know, wanted to learn. So um, just as far as no structure, um, you know, let's say when I was um, when I was homeschooled or when I was even when I was doing my homework at a young age, my mom didn't say first thing when you get home, you have to do it when you get you can. She's like, you can go out and play. You can eat dinner when you want. You can do your homework when you want, just as long as it all gets done before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So we were really brought up and taught to manage our own time. Yeah. So that's where I still now am now where I have daily goals. I know what I need to accomplish in business and personal and maybe even my fitness goals are daily or maybe they're even maybe it's take a walk every day, but maybe it's like work out three times a week yeah. and I could do those three days in a row or I just have to be able to fit them in where I want. Because if I have a schedule to me uh, where to you, that's that's security and that's comfort and that's like that's where you live. Mm-hmm. To me, it's the opposite. If you put me in a schedule, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I'm like a, I'm like a wild cat in a cage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's well. I think it's really important for me to hear that because I think it opens my eyes to realize that not everybody needs to, not necessarily do it the way that I'm doing it, but not everybody needs like a strict like habit or schedule that I'm going to do this at this time because it works for you. Mm-hmm. And as we talked beforehand, I think for everybody, it's important to discover what the best version of yourself actually means. And I think a huge step of that is becoming self aware and knowing that. This is going to actually work for me. This keeps me happy. This keeps me feeling fulfilled. So like, I, it's not bad that I'm not setting mm-hmm. these specific times or these specific habits because I think I might have come from a place being like, oh, she's not doing it right yes. um, beforehand. But sure. I realized like, you know what? Everybody's going to be a little bit differently. And I think it has to do a lot with your personality and how you were brought up and, and what you're used to. Yeah, because you, you never saw a routine by your parents necessarily. So I feel like that kind of mm-hmm. transferred into what you how you're living now. Well, even with my, even with my work, I've always worked for myself ever since I was 16. I've worked Mm -hmm. for myself. And so I'm not used to, I mean, I will set an appointment. I will set a meeting, you know, I have to make bars at a certain time. But other than that, it's not like I need to be anywhere at a certain yeah. time. You ever. had never anybody saying you had nobody ever saying you have to be here by eight or you have to be here by nine and oh, you have to no. be gone by now. Well, think about this. The last time I had a schedule like for school, since I don't have that work structure, the first time, the last time I had that, I was 13 years old when I was in eighth grade. That's the last time. That's nuts. 30 years ago was the last time I had to be at a certain yeah. time at a certain place all throughout the day. And so over 30 years, I've just unlearned it. I've just, you know. Um, yeah. I yeah. mean, and then I didn't even have someone work for me in my office until my 25th year in business. Mm. So it's only been in the last four years or that someone's been actually in my office, that there's actually been an office, Yeah. that there's actually been people working in there. I've just did everything myself before. Yeah. Oh, Lord. So let's stay on that then. Why do you think was, what was the reason why you didn't hire somebody for, for that long? Okay. Stubbornness is a good one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really felt that I could do everything myself and okay. I didn't see any reason. And, you know, when something there's a first step when you're doing something yourself, you don't think anyone else can do it as good as you. Mm-hmm. And that's the first step of being an entrepreneur is realizing you need help and you can train people to do it a certain way and that people are more than capable to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's the first that was the first step. 
Um, and then also once I did hire people, I had trouble delegating, not because I had trouble with control, but I just thought that I could do all of this. And that's been a, it's been a learning experience even now is, you know, give me, what do you have on your plate, Danielle? Give me some of it. What do you have that's too much? Give me some of it. I'm like, oh, that's right. I can, I can share, Mm -hmm. you know, it's. Well, I think because you were in the, by yourself for so long almost like the longer you were by yourself, the more and more it would get difficult to hire somebody because you're so used to seeing everything yourself and doing everything mm-hmm. yourself. And I don't, like you said, it might, might not have been from a feeling a lack of control, but there's still like a little bit of doubt. Like is something going, is something getting done besides what I'm doing? Because right. I'm not actually seeing it. I mean, it was, it was even more making the bars. Um, I would start doing all the cleanup and start washing down the machines and everything. And one lady said, Danielle, why are you doing that? And I said, because I know how to do it and I do it really good. She goes, you have five people right here who can do it perfectly well. And she's like, why are you paying us to stand here and watch you wash the machine? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that is such a great point. Gotcha. You know, but yeah. sometimes it's a, sometimes we can be a little independent and not ask for help. Yeah. And not even realize that asking for help is okay. When you come from an independent spirit, um, you think that asking for help is weakness and it took me so long to realize that people want to help. Um, whether you're paying them or not, people want to help you. And mm-hmm. if every time you say no, no, it can hurt their feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, just because if you're a giver and you're a doer, other people want to be able to do that also. Right. And no. that's that's a huge moment for me when I realized that. Yeah, I think that's a big lesson because something that I've heard recently is kind of on, this, on the same notion where when people... You know, a lot of people, when they give other people praise, they kind of deflect it. Yes. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. Like, you're mm-hmm. you're so great. That sort of thing. <laughs> I've realized or learned that you you got to take in the, the praise, both for yourself, but for the other person. Because mm-hmm. if you don't let the person give you the praise, then they don't get the satisfaction yes. of giving you the praise. It's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. You're taking something away from them by not allowing them to give. Exactly. It's exactly. like, why should I be so selfish? Go ahead. Give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Shower that phrase down. Yeah, yeah. Keep on going. Keep on going. <laughs> you didn't get everything yet. Uh, that's funny. So your dad or your dad was uh, was an entrepreneur, had his own landscaping thing, mm-hmm. and your mom was a kind of a life coach, motivational speaker type mm-hmm. thing. What do you think is the biggest lesson that you learned? We'll start with your dad, and then we'll go to your mom. Oh, the biggest I, lesson from your dad that you learned. I, I learned uh, his, he was very resourceful. This was back in the eighties, and um, he got a you know a video camera. And he would allow people to go out and do the jobs. And then he would go back and supervise them by videoing it. And then he would meet them in the morning and show them the video. And he was pointing out this shrub wasn't trimmed just right. Here's how you should have spaced this. And he was using technology that was fairly new back in mm-hmm. the 80s. And he was using it as, in order to not be there. Right. Yeah. And I was like, that that to me was so admirable that he was so clever. And it wasn't that he wanted to be there. He just knew he couldn't be on every job. And he could do better if he allowed the, the crews to go out and work. And then he would be able to visually show them without taking them physically and pointing out what they had done. It's kind of like what they do with sports. You know, they film it and then right. they show you the recap mm-hmm. and they they show you, you know, where you could have done better. Wow. I think that's a that's so cool. I think that he yeah. did that because I feel like a lot of people are trying to always figure out how to maybe uh, scale their time or make their mm-hmm. time more valuable and that's exactly what he did. He filmed yeah. them and then went back and watched it on his own time yeah. and kind of assessed it from there. So that's super cool. Have you, was there any time through your business journey where you felt like you applied that specific rule to anything in particular with your business in order to be more resourceful? Oh, that's a good point. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe about not that. even knowing it. 
That's a good question. Yeah. I'd have to think on that some more. Yeah, no, for sure. Okay, what about the biggest lesson that you learned from your mom? Uh, definitely confidence and the ability to speak at a moment's notice. My mom used to, I used to participate in her seminars and her classes. And it was one of those things where she would just call on you and give you a random subject and just tell you to stand up and start speaking on it. And, um, you know, she would time you and maybe at the beginning it was one minute and then later it was three minutes. And, um, or she would, you know, ask people to read poetry out loud from a book that they had never seen before. You know, just all kinds of different things to let you know that, you know, public speaking and she would, you know, tell you how to use your voice and and, you know, how to how to make sure you're using power and you're projecting and how to modulate your voice. And it was all very interesting training. And from the time that I was little on. So I was always around a lot of people and I was around adults all the time. So that was, um, you know, I was a child in these classes and I grew up through them. And so I just felt very confident um, speaking to people. And I think that that really helped too, especially when I have a team of people. Um, what I think one of the things and that I think that I can say that they would feel um, that everyone feels in, in our workplace is the connection. Mm. That it's not to me, I never have had a job. I've never had a manager. I don't know how they're supposed to act, but I treat people, you know, just as we're sitting here. That's how I am at work, mm-hmm. you know, and that gives people that feeling of, you know, you're working together, you're working as a team, you're not working for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Working with them, mm-hmm. honestly, for them. Yep. I think that she definitely gave you the confidence, but I think, uh, also, almost like a bigger thing is that she got you comfortable with being uncomfortable, throwing you in these situations. That I have to, I mean, it, I bet you have to just talk no. in these situations when you're a kid right. in front of all these people who are much older. Right. So, I mean, I know exactly where that translates to. Let's just say when I go to these um, these meetings for for like huge stores and you're supposed to present and you're put in this room full of people where you're supposed to talk about your product and present, you know, why you should be in their stores. Am I nervous? No. Do I plan for it? Not really. I mean, I know my product and I'm, right. you know, but like, I don't, I don't prepare a presentation. I speak to them just like I'm speaking to you now. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh my God, are you nervous? Or were you just so intimidated? No, not even, not the least bit. They're a person and they're doing their job. They're trying to make decisions. And I'm going to tell them about my product and about our mission and about, you know, our, our culture and where we want to be and why we want to be in their store and connect with them. And, you know, it's it doesn't need to be businessy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be very, like, uncomfortable and everything. Right. But I think I got that from from that training. Yeah, 100%. Um, was there ever a time when you were going through this process of the developing, grab the goal and de- developing the business that you thought maybe this isn't Maybe this isn't it. Like maybe I'm gonna gonna quit. Did you ever have like a yeah. doubt? It. Who doesn't want to quit at some point? I mean, really, who <laughs> at some point doesn't say, "Oh my goodness, this is too hard. Um, this is boring. I feel like this is repetitive." And again, we'll go back to something my mom taught me because I, in the beginning, I wanted to quit so many times, and she said, "Why? Why do you want to quit?" I said, "Because it's not fun." And she said, why isn't it fun? I said, because I'm just doing the same thing over and over. I'm just making bars, filling orders. You know, it's just the same thing over and over. And she said, if it's not fun, it's not it's not the business's fault. It's not the product's fault. It's your fault. And I was like, okay, let me think about that. She said, you're the one who determines if you're having fun. It's not what you're doing. It's how you're reacting to it. And she said, the thing with you is that you are 
an excitable type person. You like the creativity. You like to make new products. You like to make new new businesses. You like you like the creation stage. And she said the fact that you're not comfortable with the maintenance, the the basically the development, the long term, you're not comfortable with that. And she said you can't always be creating something or else you'll never get anywhere. And until you're comfortable with the mundane, the routine, the daily, like just repeating things over and over, she said, you're never going to get anywhere. Mm. And then she said, you have to find joy in the daily things. You have to find joy in the repetitiveness of it. But that's up to you. That's not up to what you're doing. It's up to you to create it. Mm. So you would kind of always just go back to that that idea. And, and during those times where you had that self-doubt or Yes, yeah, so I was in my early 20s. I was like, oh, this I'm just bored. Mm-hmm. I want to do something else. Or, you know, squirrel, there's something over there. <laughs> that looks really fun. I wish I was doing yeah. that. And she's like, you know, you, you're, you're just... You basically, she's like, if you want entertainment, you're not going to be successful. If you want to be entertained, you're you're going to choose the wrong things in life. So it's basically finding out what you value and what you want to do and then putting your energy towards that. And it's up to you. She's like, passion comes from within. Mm-hmm. You know, it's up to you to be passionate about it. It's up to you to be excited every morning when you wake up. And it was a little bit hard in the first, I'd say, five or six years. And after that, I settled in and I love my job. I love what I do. You know, I love making these products. And um, I don't, I, I'm passionate every morning. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I mean, I think everybody should literally rewind that and listen <laughs> to the last like two or three minutes from when I asked you, yeah. you know, have you ever thought about quitting? The message from your mom was just, I mean, like it resonates, yeah. I feel like, so much with me that you have to be. I forget exactly what the quote you said. I can't go back. I can't wait to go back and listen to it. Um, but oh my gosh, it just it was like well, awesome. It's, it's super really powerful. a mindset. It's what you decide to be. Right. When you wake up in the morning, what do you, what do you, it's not how you wake up. Some people are like, oh, I just woke up this way or I woke up tired or I woke up feeling sad. Okay, that's fine. But my mom used to say to me, you have three minutes to change your attitude. Mm-hmm. You have three minutes. And then as I got used to that, she would say, you have two minutes to change your attitude. Mm. And then it got to be, you have one minute to change your attitude. You know, she, you know, like if you want to sulk and you want to feel sad or sorry for yourself or whatever. And then pretty soon it was like, nope, you don't need to change now. Mm -hmm. Change now. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you said that because it reminded me of what you said (laughs) in terms of like you said, I'm not having any fun. And she's like, okay, why are you not having fun? And then she was. Um, saying that you kind of decide whether you're having fun or not. It's, yes. it's like how you, not what you're doing, but how you react to it. There you go. So really love that. Um, <laughs> what do you think is the your thing you're most proud of? Maybe business or maybe like personally throughout this, maybe this journey over the last, let's see, since 2005 or maybe mm-hmm. even before that, I guess in your professional life, what do you yeah. think you're most proud of? The thing I'm most proud of is keeping it about people and not about business, not about numbers, not about profit. Um, just keeping the focus on the people, whether it's the customers or the people who are making the product, the people who are working with us, it, the people who are selling us the ingredients. To me, it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. It's about caring for people. It's about having like this kind of connection with everybody mm-hmm. every time. It's never um, I'm too busy. It's like taking the moments with people, because if you don't take moments with people, um, you know, you're going to be at the end of your day, at the end of your week. Uh, five years from now, at the end of your life, wondering, why do I feel unfulfilled? Mm. What was my purpose? You know, you're going to find yourself. It's like you have to create meaning in what you're doing. Mm. It's not just about goals and numbers and achievements. Gotcha. And if you care about people, you know, you find yourself fulfilled, you find yourself happy, and it gives you the energy 
to do the other things. Mm, it goes full, comes full circle. Yeah. Um, so one of the questions I had planned to ask you, and I feel like you almost just answered it, was how does a company that starts from a 16-year-old girl creating it in her kitchen um, that has no advertising or no sales reps become mm-hmm. this brand that it is today? And do you really feel like it's probably because that you've always been about the people? Or what do you think? how do you think that was able to happen? I hope so. I mean, I really feel like, okay, the recipe was given to me blessed. I like totally blessed that I could create this at 16. And it's something that survived for almost three decades without, I mean, there's such a competitive market. Maybe not at the time. And maybe you, maybe you create a product that's good enough to survive, like, you know, local kind of trendy people supporting local. But as it grows, people are still responding to it. And one thing that I find is that when I talk to people, they say, it just makes me feel so good. Like, I, it's yes, it's food, but they get excited. There's something about it. Even if they don't know the story, they just know when I eat, grab the gold, I just feel, they just say, mm, I just feel so good. Mm. And I'm like, so what is that? What is that? And I'm really, really thinking, this is my perspective, is that it's the care, the thoughtfulness, the the intent that we put in. I mean, even when the people who are making the bars, when we're making the bars, everybody has a good attitude. Nobody is allowed to make the food if they have like, not saying you don't have problems, but you can't be in there with negativity. You know, there's everybody knows that that's our culture. If you have, you're upset, you have negativity, you have issues you know, you leave them outside. Mm. So I just really feel like, you know, when you eat restaurant food, it's one thing. When you eat home cooking, you feel something, you feel nourished, you feel mm-hmm. good. And I'm hoping that that's what's translating to people, mm. why they're drawn to it so much. That's really cool. I think that's super powerful. <laughs> um, we've talked a lot about your past and kind of where, how it's gotten to the point today. Yeah. What do you, what's your biggest struggle personally with the business nowadays? Well, my vis- my biggest struggle is having neglected my my kind of self-care or mm. hobbies, personal life for so long is learning to take the time away from my business and knowing it's going to be okay. I have plenty of great people in place. Not everything has to be done by me, and that's the way it should be. But I also just like I'm relearning, I guess, how to be childlike, how to take time, how to have fun. And for me, um, I still feel that pull back to my business, but I'm learning to to create a new yeah. way. So that's kind of personally for me, creating a, a workspace and a home space, creating a workspace and a, a Danielle space, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I'm always I'm always going to be my business. I'm always going to care about it, and I'm always going to put all of me into it. But I also need to create, you know, like they say, this work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I've always heard it. Um, and I believe that sometimes sometimes you have a project and you're just going to be working a lot. But on a regular basis, taking weekends off, I hadn't, I didn't do that for 10 years. I didn't take a weekend off. I didn't take a vacation. I didn't do anything, you know. So it's one of those things like just learning to take time for myself and for yeah. it to be okay. Because, you know, there's this thought at first is it okay? Is this selfish? What are people going to think that I'm actually taking a weekend off? Or what mm-hmm. are people going to think that I'm taking five days off? Well, everybody else gets time off. Why not me? But mm-hmm. I, to me, it's just like, I feel like I need to, to be doing it all the time. I don't. Yeah. So why don't. do you think it was, why do you think it was so hard for you to kind of have the faith that it would be okay? If you stepped away, if you didn't, if you weren't working, if you took that three day weekend. Yeah, because there's, there's, there's processes in place. There's people in place. They're all doing their jobs. I mean, and then I looked at what am I doing when I think that, that I'm making a difference 
and not taking personal time. You know, I'm talking, I'm just talking like after six or seven o'clock, not working till 11 or 12 o'clock at night. I'm not talking like not going into work. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about just stopping at some point, stopping work at some point and not working till you go to sleep Mm -hmm. or taking um, a Saturday or Sunday off. I just didn't know how to do that. And, um, you know, when I would work on something and I was like, wait a minute, could this wait till Monday? When I, as I knew it was okay because when I noticed what I was doing, I, I started asking myself, is this moving the needle? Is this, can this be done on Monday? You know, you just need to be more productive or delegate, mm-hmm. be more productive during work hours or delegate and create that space for myself. But it was a strange feeling at first. I was like, but what am I doing? I'm not being productive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. You're taking a walk. You're you know, going grocery shopping. I don't know. It's like normal people things. Yeah, it doesn't always have to be a quantifiable or measurable <laughs> Ooh, return, right? I mean, right? But some things, you know, you have to learn. Mm, gotcha. Well, cool. So I always ask the same last two questions to everybody. Mm-hmm. And the first one, I always throw out the age number. So if you don't mind, how old are you? 44. 44? Okay, awesome. So in 10 years, you're going to be 54. Um, and so you've you know, grown this business to this huge, great brand that it is today. Um, but I'm sure, obviously, you have goals, things you mm-hmm. want to do, things you want to accomplish down the road. So what I want to ask you is what does 54-year-old Danielle look like and what is she doing? Oh, it would be great if 54-year-old, 54-year-old Danielle had this wonderful business employing lots of people who were just full of initiative, um, rewarded wonderfully, and we had multiple products nationwide Um, and I enjoyed my business. I was there and present, but I also had this great feeling and knowing how to take a week off and a week there and taking time away from the office really to meet people and develop business. Um, and I would also like to do more public speaking Mm -hmm. and, you know, really kind of telling the story and telling life lessons and inspiring other people, because I feel like I have a lot to give back and I feel like I want to share with people so I feel like in 10 years, I will have that also going on in my, um, you know, throughout the year. That's it. I love that. Um, and so before I ask the last question, I want to I want to acknowledge you first, because I want to acknowledge you for your courage for, you know, having the Hurricane Katrina happen, mm-hmm. having this six month gap. And I kind of mm-hmm. said it already. I think it's just unbelievably unique, unbelievably unique that you were able to take that leap of faith to go full time with Grab the Gold when you could have taken the tennis job with the Tennessee Titans. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people would have loved that security, but you had the courage enough to take that leap of faith Mm -hmm. to know that you were going to make it happen regardless. Um, So that, which is really cool. Um, And so tell, I want everybody to support you as much as possible to everybody kind of where they can learn more about Grab the Gold and and all that good stuff. Yeah. Mm Grabthegold.com. So there's our website and all of our products and learn the story there. Gotcha. Very good. Um, so the last question I always ask everybody is, you know, we've communicated about becoming the best version of yourself and how that looks differently for every single person. Mm -hmm. And what I like to say is I think that we're all on this journey of life and we all go about it differently, but we're all after the same goal of becoming the best version of ourselves. but it looks differently for every single person. So what I want to ask is for you personally, if there are three things that you could do or three things that you could work on to become closer to that best version of yourself? What are those three things that you could do or three things you could work on? Taking time for myself every day, Mm, whether it's meditation, exercise, um, you know, reading something, not reading something inspirational, something that's like really fulfilling for myself, but taking the me time um, that's really important for personal growth, I would say, some consistency every day like that. Um, The other thing I think would be to find a hobby 
find a hobby and really participate with it. I'm still looking for a good one if you know mm-hmm. any hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> any suggestions yeah. would be welcome. Okay. Um, and I think, I think something that's really important is um, thinking more about vision and mission and the action steps that need to to be taken for that, whether it's personal or business, actually making a plan, I mean, and being thoughtful about it and taking the time. That to me is something that I'm doing now, kind of refreshing. And starting in December, I was doing that. And just to keep repeating that and coming back to it. There's so many times that we set goals um, or we make a business plan or we set goals in December, but how often do we come back? There's accountability, but it's not just coming back to the accountability. It's coming back to, is that still my passion? Mm-hmm. Is that still the direction I want to go? Is that still working for me? And it's okay to change and tweak things. You know, it's okay. That's that's the, the great thing. It's a plan, and that means it can change. Mm-hmm. So it's not being so hard for your, on yourself that you need to stick to these things. Is that still working? Am I still going where I want to go? Mm. Well, those are three great ones. Um, I want to personally, not that it means a whole lot, but I want to give you permission to take <laughs> – a little bit more time for yourself because yes. you've done some amazing work over the last number of years, so you deserve it. Thank um, you. But that's all we got. I appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Thank you so much. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now it's time to act. Leave a like and a comment on YouTube. Subscribe to that page. If you're on iTunes, leave it a five-star review. Help the show move up the ranks so more and more people can get access to it. Feel free to take a screenshot of this episode and let me know you're listening on Instagram. Danielle's story is absolutely amazing. I'm so impressed by the way she was able to take the leap of faith after Hurricane Katrina to go full-time on her own business, literally having no idea how things would turn out. Remember everyone, especially for those entrepreneurial minds out there, take some time for yourself. Self-care, making time for your own hobbies and your own relationships is crucial to your overall happiness and fulfillment. It may not give you a measurable result now, but life is not all about the things that are quantifiable. Sometimes the things we can't count are the things that count the most. Thanks so much for listening. Keep taking consistent action every single day. Now it's time to go out and upgrade yourself today to get closer and closer to your best you.